Anyway, welcome to the awesome Authors of Star Wars panel. I'm Brian Young. I'm going to be moderating today. Uh, I write about Star Wars for StarWars.com and Slash Film and Sci-Fi, and I do a Star Wars podcast called Full of Sith, and I'm going to be directing the conversation this evening. I'm going to be asking questions of our panel, and we are going to be taking questions uh, later in the panel. So if you can think of questions, typically they end in a question mark and aren't a comment. And uh, we will be taking the uh, lineup for them here in the middle, uh, about halfway through. So if you, if you have those, you can come on up. We'll have a microphone up here for you. Uh, to start, I'd like each of the panelists here, each of the Star Wars authors, to introduce themselves. Kevin, would you like to start, please? I'm Kevin J. Anderson, and I've written a lot of Star Wars books. <laughs> I'm Timothy Zahn. I haven't written as many Star Wars books as Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm Michael Stackpole. I did a bunch of novels with X-Wings in them, and these two are a hard act to follow. <laughs> I'm Christy Golden, and yes, these are all guys who are very hard acts to follow. Um, I've done Dark Disciple and Inferno Squad, and a few books for um, the EU, so I've had my fingers in, in both of those awesome pies. Um, my name is E.K. Johnston, and I wrote Star Wars Ahsoka and the forthcoming Star Wars Queen's Shadow. So uh, one thing that happens with Star Wars is a lot of secrecy around it. And I'm wondering how the secrecy of, of Star Wars books has changed over the years. So for um, Kevin and, and, and Tim and Mike, what was, what was the secrecy like in the, the older days? Like, was there, was there secrecy? <laughs> I said, I'm starting my Jedi Academy books. Can you just mail me Tim's new manuscript? And they said, sure. <laughs> It, it was, I think, somewhat easier back then, though there were things that they did not want you to talk about. Mostly the difference now is you've got an entirely new layer of, of um, paranoia with uh, Disney, which is some, in some ways outstrips even the paranoia of Lucasfilm. <laughs> yeah, back in those early days, it, it was much easier. Um, I was working on an X-Wing comic, and Tim happened to call, and he said, well, what have you done today? And I said... I just created the greatest Imperial pilot ever, Baron Fell. And he said, really, I can use him. And so for the next 45 minutes, Tim and I figured out the entirety of Baron Fell's career. Uh, I made notes. This became a three or four page bio that Tim and I worked from for the next two years. It was something, and, and so he did his books, I did all my stuff. And it was sometime after that, I was up at Lucasfilm for a meeting and I said to uh, Sue Rostoni, I said, by the way, here's the bio that Tim and I have been working off for Baron Fell. Don't know if you're interested. That went into their archives. So, yeah, it was an entirely different situation. And uh, today with, with books now, um, I know you, you were telling me about uh, keeping the secret of Queen's Shadow for a long time. Did you, did you, how, what was that like? And then, Christy, tell me about Inferno Squad and working on that for so long. Um, 
the strangest part about keeping the secret for Queen's Shadow is that when you put um, a certain subset of Star Wars fans together for any long period of time, or even a short period of time, they will start talking about Padme. <laughs> and I hang out with those people a lot. And so there were like several conversations um, before the announcement where I was just like, I'm really sorry, I left the oven on? I have to leave. And just like noped out of several conversations. Um, but I got really good at being like, are you working on anything right now? No, I am not currently working on anything <laughs> right now. Um, Inferno Squad was a, a real surprise gift. Um, and uh, it really helped me utilize my love of gaming as well as my love of Star Wars in a rather unique way. Uh, the real high point of that was that Janina Gavankar uh, found out that there was going to be a prequel to the game. And she reached out to me, she tracked me down, and we had a wonderful conversation. And we have become friends, and she is amazing, and her passion and enthusiasm. Uh, it was great to meet her and be able to put that into my writing of Aiden Versio uh, because even before we saw anything in the game, and I don't, I wouldn't have had that opportunity otherwise. So I'm super grateful for that. It was been a really fantastic experience. Tim, with Thrawn Alliances, you brought Thrawn and Vader to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> Did that add a layer of complication to what you were doing? I'm sorry. Did that add a layer of complication to what you were doing? Well, I was. They, they wanted me to, to put part of the book at Batu. Uh, they were able to give me some stills, some little bit of description of what was going to be in there, how shops were laid out and things of that sort. And I made the ultimate sacrifice of riding Star Tours many, many times to watch that final swoop. Into, uh, it's a hard job, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> No, uh, but it, it was a nice thing to be able to coordinate this stuff in, but there were only certain things, of course, they could tell me about as well. And I understand there's a certain amount of, of, of rivalry within Disney of, okay, how come the literary group gets to mention Batu and we don't get to talk about what we're doing with it? So uh, fortunately, all that was out of, the, out, out of my sight and uh, behind the scenes. But, yes, yeah, somebody else pointed out that I have now done officially the start of the joke, Thrawn and Vader walk into a bar. <laughs> so, all of you have uh, worked with the legacy characters, and I'm or, or some legacy characters, and I'm wondering of the, the characters from the movies that we're all familiar with that you've worked with, which are the ones that uh, you found the hardest time capturing their voice of, and which did you have the easiest time capturing? And, and do you want to start at the end, Kevin, and we'll just move forward? Well, kind of ironically, I was just writing, I've got a big epic fantasy novel that I'm writing, and I had one of the characters shout out, because this was actually true, one of the characters shouted out, it's a trap! And I went, oh, I can't use that line. Akbar's ruined that line forever. So I can't, I, I said, this is a predetermined uh, scheme to trap us. Um, um, just by watching the movies over and over again, remember, they weren't legacy characters for us. These were the characters. I mean, it was it was Han and Luke and, and Leia. Those were the ones that we that we just listened to over and over again. And and we were lucky in that all we had were those three movies, and we could have watched the Ewok Adventures if we wanted to. But um, 
we just watched those three movies, and this was back at a simpler time when when Han actually did shoot first, and 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 Luke didn't go ah when he jumped off a cloud that's, or fell off a cloud sin, city. That's since been removed. Yeah, so yeah, so, it's, it's gone in the Blu-ray. Okay, it, it's it was a bad dream. Bobby Bobby whatever from Dallas woke up and um, Ewing. yeah Ewing, um, but really this was. We didn't, for, for you guys, for EK and Christy, you've got so much stuff to do and so much stuff to research. And we had three movies. And we could watch those movies over and over again. Tim, you actually recorded them and you played them in the car over and over again. And so it was easy for us to just hear those lines and get them in our head and use those in the characters so that they, they could speak. So it, it was a fun time. Yeah, I think once you, you get to the point where you kind of understand the characters, it's not too hard to envision how Han would react in this situation or how Leia would react. So, uh, again, as, as uh, Kevin pointed out, I did, we had the audios of the movies, so I had heard the movies more times than I'd seen them, and I could have the pacing uh, and, and the way people spoke. And I did have to, in the, the uh, original uh, the, uh, Thrawn trilogy, at least once I had to change uh, a line, Chewie and me are doing something, which the copy editor had carefully put back to Chewie and I are doing something. So, and they made Stormtrooper two words, I had to put all those back as well. <laughs> so uh, in, in some ways, I think maybe we knew more about the movies than some of the people working on the books, not the editors, but some of the subsidiaries. Yeah, when I got the, the contract for the X-Wing books, in addition to the movies, I had Tim's books, Kevin's books, Dave Wolverton's, um, and, uh, West, and End Games material. West End Games material I had, uh, and Kathy Tyres' novel. So I had a little bit more to be able to dig with, but um, I, I said early on, I, uh, because the X-Wing books were slightly different, I said, I'm not going to be allowed to use any of the big seven characters, am I? And they thought about it for a moment and they said, no, no, you can't. Yeah, I said, unless I need to and I can ask permission, right? And they said, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Because I didn't want to have to use any of them because I knew uh, getting them right would be so difficult. Um, as a result, I, I really didn't have to use them and didn't use many of them. I think for me, the, the most interesting uh, stuff writing with a, with a legacy character was in I, Jedi, um, when uh, Corrin, uh, being an ex-cop, has to have a conversation with Han Solo, uh, an ex-smuggler, uh, and, and they actually, actually have to have a, a meeting of the minds about things. Uh, you know, and that was a conversation that Corrin never could have had before. Uh, and so it was really, it, it, for me, it was a lot of fun because the, the character had evolved enough and grown enough uh, that he was able to have that and, and understand um, Han's point of view, Han's side of things. Well, I was 13 when I saw Star Wars for the first time in the movie theaters, and um, my parents, who never really got that I am so into things like this, were still nonetheless very supportive and um they, my mom would drop me off that summer, and I would sit there for the first showing, and then I'd go home for dinner. 
And then I'd go back the next day, and I'd sit through the stitch. I'm not even kidding you. I have, I've probably seen the original Star Wars hundreds of times by this point, hundreds. And one thing that I have recently learned, and I never, I never quite put this together, but I'm trained in theater. And I realized that a lot of times when I'm writing, I try to kind of inhabit the character that I'm writing. And I'm thinking of how would I move, you know, how would this character move? And so I think that really helps me with media tie-ins because I can kind of drop into it like an, an actor does. And so um, I really didn't have that much of a problem with him because it was kind of coded in my DNA by that point, except for one character. And I'll tell you, it's hard to capture Chewbacca's voice. It just is. <laughs> What was it like being around you when you were writing Asajj Ventress? <laughs> I am able to inhabit the characters <laughs> and then leave them when I, when I need to. But uh, yes, it was that was she's such a wonderful character. She's so rich, and what they did with her in the Clone Wars was amazing. When they took her for this, you know, very kind of snarly villain, you know, Vader's right hand, and they put her through everything that they put her in. And then with the last several episodes that I had the honor, and I don't use that word lightly, to novelize, they really brought her to this amazing place. And it's, she was, it was very important to me that I get her right. It was really important to me that I portray her arc and the power of the character, the intensity and the, the strength, and not just physical, but the strength that she had in her bones. So um, I did a lot of watching of the Clone Wars, a lot, a lot of watching for that, and really just kind of tried to, to sink into her. And um, some of the acerbic things I say these days may be traced back to her just a little bit. <laughs> so when I found out I was going to be writing Ahsoka, I was, of course, deeply terrified. Um, because she was a character that so many people had loved, and I was like, what if I don't love her enough to write this book? Um, I, I did. But um, it, was, it was wonderful, again, to watch the episodes. And I never had problems hearing her voice because um, Ashley Eckstein is such a good voice actress that every time I wrote a line of dialogue, I would hear it in, um, in Ahsoka's voice, uh, which was quite handy. There's a character in the Padme book that I was very, very nervous to write. I can't tell you who it is yet. But um, they... <laughs> They were. I wanted to really make sure that I got, I got them correct as well, and I'm pretty sure that I did. But it was definitely a challenge. That was the hardest one for sure. I will tell you as soon as I can, but I can't right now. Is it there's like, there's like a no. It's not actually. It's not Watto. Did um, did you have a harder time capturing, or do you feel like you had a harder time capturing Padme than Ahsoka? Then, um, I don't. Or who who did you have the easier time? Do you think? I think I had an easier time with Padme because, um, like, I was 14 when when we met, and um, and I've been like a huge fan of her ever since. Whereas Ahsoka is a much more recent addition into my sort of Star Wars life, um, but but Padme was definitely like yes. <laughs> so you all got to play with characters that had been created for the screen and other media. Um, what about creating your own characters? What was that like, uh, trying to come up with characters to play off of them? Mike, you alluded a little bit to it with, with Corin and Han, but uh, what sort of fun is that to take the characters that you're creating, throw them in the Star Wars universe, and then throw them up against uh, you know, the, the legacy characters? Kevin, I'm thinking with you, I, Kip Duron was, was a character who got to interact with everybody. Well, Kip Duron and, and um, Admiral Dalla, too, are, are the ones, I think one of the more... Yes, there are our own characters that are playing with 
the established characters, but um, well, Garrett Wang was just in here. He's making all that noise next door. Um, but he was talking about Star Trek and Star Wars, and I grew up every day when I came home from school, before Star Wars was in the theaters, I watched Star Trek reruns over and over and over again. And my first 70 things that I wrote were in a spiral notebook as a freshman in high school. I hand wrote 70 Star Trek episodes, and I watched them over and over again. Um, and so you were, I got used to making up my own characters to interact with Kirk and Spock, and th these are from a different universe. You, probably, you might not know them. Um, and so when I got to do the, the Star Wars stuff, you wanted to come up with characters that are, that are iconic, that interact and, and bounce off of the characters that everybody knows. But, but sort of a subsidiary or to, to your question, um, both Kip Duran and Admiral Dalla have been used by a lot of other authors in the Star Wars universe, and a lot of Mara Jade's in almost like every Star Wars novel that's been written. So what's even more interesting is watching, <laughs> including mine, um, what's more interesting is watching other authors take our characters as sort of like junior varsity iconic characters, and, and that's really interesting. And they're not our characters, so we can't get pissed off when somebody else damages them, but. <laughs> the feeling is somewhat akin to watching your daughter go off on a first date. <laughs> With a guy in a black leather shirt and tattoos all over it. <laughs> Who might be very nice, but you don't really know. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a, a thrill to be able to have your characters interact with with the movie characters and, and especially for me with the x-wing stuff um interacting with the whole universe um you know that was you know the mission that i was given is populate this squadron bring in a lot of new characters and that meant that i got to go into the universe and say okay i would like one of these and i would like one of these and put them together and then one of the things that i tend to dislike about media universes um, or poorly done science fiction universes is that every planet is a monoculture. They all do one thing. And this is why, you know, with, with both um, Han and Wedge being fr uh, from the same world, being Corellians, uh, they both have smuggling backgrounds. So, you know, our sample size is two, and they're both smugglers. The and, smugglers. Yeah, the planet of smugglers. And, and you know, and, and when I was looking at, at Corrin, um, what I, what I said to myself is, look, not everybody can be a smuggler. So let's have the law enforcement side. Okay. Yes, I want the Corellian connection because I want him and Wedge to have something in common. But also having that diversity of opinions and, and their background means that there's going to be more texture there. There's going to be more politics there. And that's going to make for a much better story. So kind of, you know, creating the characters and making sure that they were in a position to utilize what's there in the universe and also then through their journey contribute back to the universe, I think was a real responsibility. And I, I, and I really enjoyed it. And I hope I hit the mark. Uh, my, my introduction to writing for Star Wars was kind of a trial by fire because not only was I writing a Star Wars book, I was writing three of them. Not only were there three books, but they were all hardcover. Not only were they three books, but they were three books in a nine-book series with two other people writing the beginning and the end of the story. So I got all of the middle books. from. This is my very first experience with Star Wars. 
And uh, my favorite story about a shared character is uh, Troy Denning, I believe, wanting me to set up a character that was an assistant to Dala that had a chitlet. And uh, just an offhanded reference about, you know, talking about the end. Oh, I believe this character has one. Well, I took this character, and I really liked this character. And he was like Mr. Calm, almost bland, but very intelligent, very moral, very cool underneath all of the bland everydayness of him. And we got to work with him through this nine-book series. So by the end of it, oh, and he had a chitlick. He named Pocket. And Pocket just kind of hung out with him. Pocket went in the pocket. And uh, by the end of this nine-book series, this character had gone from this throwaway, can you put this character in there, to head of the Galactic Alliance. <laughs> because we all just kind of really enjoyed that kind of deadpan against these extremely strong, uh, very colorful characters. Here was just Windorv and just kind of chugging along, doing his thing. And uh, by the end, getting his moment as a hero and, and uh, becoming head of the Galactic Alliance. So there you go. If somebody says, just write this little throwaway character, you never know where it's going to go. When I was setting up characters for Ahsoka to interact with, I wanted them to be um, from quieter backgrounds than she's from. Her background is, her background is pretty epic. And um, with Caden specifically, I wanted them to have a few things in common. So they're both... Um, on their own, they both have a huge sense of responsibility. Um, but Caden's sense of responsibility is very personal. She's super focused on her sister, whereas Ahsoka is like focused on the whole galaxy, which takes up a different sort of attention. And um, having the idea of like family versus has not really experienced the normal kind of family, um, although her family, I would argue that she still had one, it just looked a little different. Um, and sort of setting those two things against each other was was interesting because you, you see Ahsoka sort of reach for that sort of home sense, I guess, when she has never, or it's been a while since she's felt that, mostly because, sorry, because her friends are, you know, dead. <laughs> Brian, can I, I, I want to add a little tangential thing, because similar to that, when we go see the new movies that come out, our radar is, is like really attuned, and we're watching things, and we're seeing these little tiny details of, ooh, they read my book, ooh, they put that in for my book, ooh, that's a little... You I'm sure you got the same thing. The Spice things. Mines of Kessel. Well, the Spice Mines of Kessel, the Maw, the Black Hole Cluster, yeah. but even little tiny things like the, the little mud trench warfare thing that Han Solo's in. The planet is Karita, which is a planet I made up as sort of a throwaway name in, I think, Darksaber. So I got that, like, me and two other people in the world would notice that. <laughs> but I'm like, so I'm sitting there jumping up and down in the, in the movie theater, and nobody knows why, because... <laughs> I think everybody else is wondering, why do you do trench warfare when you have spaceships and star destroyers? <laughs> but, um, but seeing little tiny details of our stuff, and sometimes they're not that tiny, is just like fangasm. This is the coolest thing ever for, I mean, we're, I could speak for, we're all like the biggest Star Wars fans in the universe. It's not just like, okay, this is the job I'm doing today. This is Star Wars. We're fanboys. And to see something to go, ooh, something of ours made it into the movie. One of my, the very first things when they did the Star Wars special editions, I had, a lot of you might have seen it, I did this big art book with Ralph McQuarrie called The Illustrated Star Wars Universe. And we made up a whole bunch of stuff and Ralph made up a bunch of new paintings for it. And in the Star Wars special editions, they digitized some of those paintings into the movies and they added some of the details that I had written in there. And this is just, I mean, 
they never acknowledge it. We're not among these seven billion names that's on the credits at the end of it. But we know, and we just go home grinning when we see some of that in the movies. And you're at, uh, Thrawn's been in the Rebels yeah. series. Um, and I think there's other little details. I know the, the Bomar monks were in the, um, uh, the Clone Wars series. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little, well, Dave Wolverton's the Witches of Dathomir yep. all over yeah. the place. I mean, that, I love it when they take these things because our stuff isn't just good. It's legends. <laughs> so, wow. I wanted to get everybody, we're about halfway through. I'd like, uh, if, if you have questions, come on up to the center. We'll get the microphone up there. But on that, on that tack, um, Tim, with, with Thrawn, what's the experience like creating the character and then getting to tune in every week on Rebels to see how other people are treating that character? Yeah, it's, it's exciting to see your character show up on screen. You have the appreciation. These people are doing a good job. The voice actor is great. The storylines work out. In the back of your mind, you always have the, this was a great episode. Please don't screw up the next one. <laughs> <laughs> and fortunately, Rebels carried all the way to the end. They did a great job with the character. They they were fair to him, fair to the reader or the viewers, um, and yeah, we don't get any special uh, whatever, uh, but we do have the bragging rights. And also, and I've never gotten a straight answer from this about this from Lucasfilm, but in season the season three Blu-ray, they have a little segment about Thrawn, and they use some film they put they took of me. Uh, when they first revealed that he was going to be in Rebels. So my question is, does that mean I'm canon now, too? Have you ever been on the Star Wars show? Hmm? Have you ever been on the Star Wars show? If you've been on the Star Wars show, you have an IMDb credit, which I think makes you canon. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to go to to questions here. Again, uh, questions end in question marks, and they're typically a sentence or two. Um, if you all could write one story about a character who originates from the Clone Wars or Rebels, who would that character be and what would their, and what would the story be? Well, I'm not sure they necessarily want to get into what (laughs) stories they'd want to tell, but what character would you like to try to tell stories for? Well, I mentioned this at my last uh, the last panel, but I've always assumed that after, at the end of uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, when Obi-Wan drops baby Luke off on Tatooine, that he went off someplace gazillion light years away and made an absolutely loud nuisance of himself to draw attention that direction until the trail went cold to Tatooine. I really would like to write a book where Obi-Wan makes a nuisance of himself. So I think he could do a really good job. And we'd call it Jedi Rumspringer. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure that's how that works. <laughs> Anyone else want to take that? Um, okay. I've already gotten to, so I feel pretty lucky. <laughs> well, yeah, you had you had uh, Asajj, and then you got Ahsoka. Um, first, I want to say thank you for um, you're really taking what is essentially a small story about a family, and you're turning it into a universe that's filled with living, breathing people. 
um, which is what makes Star Wars great. Um, Where's the question mark? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you, so we have Thrawn coming into the new canon from the old canon. If you could take an old canon character and bring him, them into the new canon, who would you do? Or who would you bring in, and how would you bring them in? Ideally, you mean a, a Legends character? Yeah, that's Disney Storm. Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's, a, it's actually Lucasfilm's turn. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, if if there is a Legends character you'd want to bring in to the the new canon to work with, which would, would of yours specifically, which would it be? Um, either Kip or Admiral Dalla, and I I've heard rumors of Admiral Dalla being in Rebels, but I'm not sure. That rumors might have been from one of you guys telling me in the hall or something. So I don't know. <laughs> but I'd like that. Because she's a redhead and my wife's a redhead and I like them. So is Mara. Yeah. Oh. Stand up. There you go. Um, for me, it'd either be uh, Corrin or Barenfell. <laughs> Didn't they both make it into the, uh, the X-Wing game that Fantasy Flight did? Uh, I think both of them have. Yeah, actually, a lot of the pilots are in that game. Yeah. No, yeah, that's what I understand. One of the one of the weird things that happens at, at conventions when you've created characters like that is somebody will be in a tournament and then they will come over and say, "You saved me in this game." <laughs> like, okay, I'll take credit for that. <laughs> is that is that more or less weird than when somebody comes up and says, "I named my kid Corin." That is a that is a really special thing yeah. when someone when someone likes a character enough to to name. Uh, uh, I guess weird's the wrong word. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's very. I, though oddly enough, I mean, there's been three or four kids that have been named for Corin, but one guy with a canine unit named his dog Tycho, <laughs> and I and and I thought that was really pretty cool because he had like trading cards and stuff, you know. So. So I actually got to see the picture of this dog named after Tycho. Yeah, the, the, uh, the naming your child works best when the child who's at least eight years old or older is there to say, yes, I like my name. Only if you've gone to a fertility clinic and had special procedures. So... Christy, about a Legends character you'd want to bring in? Oh, I'd love to see Wynn Dorvin, because there's nothing more fun than putting somebody who's who's very level-headed and unflappable in a really impossible situation, and, and hijinks could ensue, definitely. I honestly don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Next question. So, to uh, bookend back on uh, kind of throwaway lines, um, Tim, in Heir to the Empire and in Thrawn, you know, Heir to the Empire, you have um, you mentioned outbound flight, and then Thrawn, you're like, oh, I knew Anakin Skywalker. Was this you being like, aha, I have more ideas, and call me, or was this a throwaway line? And then they came back and like, if you have other ideas, let you know, and then you flushed it out. So like, what was the cause and effect there? Outbound flight mention was mostly a throwaway line. It was there to show that Thrawn knew the original Jorah Sabaoth was dead. At the time I wrote these, we didn't know if there were going to be more than just these three Star Wars books. Nobody knew if the fans were out there. You are. Uh, spoiler. Um, for the case of Thrawn mentioning Anakin, the top 
goal of all writers is to keep working. So you throw a couple of hooks into the book that, okay, now I could write this one up too. So yes, that was definitely a, I want to uh, be able to tell this story someday. If this book works out well, I will pitch this uh, next idea. Hey, I just want to uh, say that my son enjoyed the Thrawn book. Uh, and, and also I gave him Inferno Squad along with a couple other books for Christmas. So. Um, question for all of y'all. Uh, uh, something I hadn't asked in a few years, and uh, now I've got a couple other authors to hear from. And uh, can you just tell uh, briefly uh, how you got involved with Star Wars, uh, writing for Star Wars, and Timothy, when it comes to you, if you could uh, just mention whether or not you're uh, mentioning good words for Kevin and Michael there, uh, you know, with the new canon, because I'd love to see them write some new canon stuff. <laughs> well, if, if I had published, I think, seven or eight books of my own, which were critically acclaimed, which means they got good reviews and didn't sell my very many copies. Um, but I always turned my books in on time, and I worked well with the... Uh, uh, the editors, and without my knowledge, they had sent copies of them to Lucasfilm, and they said, yeah, these are pretty good. We'll have you write them because we're tired of Tim. He's done three already, and he'll never do more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 30 seconds for rebuttal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I was... Bantam and Lucasfilm had made a deal to do three Star Wars books, I think partly to test the waters and see if the fans were still out there. Uh, Bantam's editors had come up with a short list of authors they thought could handle uh, Star Wars. The Lucasfilm people liked my style. Uh, I know at least one other author on that list, possibly two, who went on later on to do more Star Wars books, but they picked me for that first one. So it was a completely out of the blue phone call in November of 89 uh, from my agent with the understatement of the decade. Tim, we have a very interesting offer here. <laughs> and I don't know if they were uh, done with me by the time they invited you or... Well, you, you... They invited me after Heir to the Empire came out, but I, I have a galley of, of Dark Force Rising, so that wasn't even out yet. Oh, okay. So it was pretty much... Uh, right close on the heels, so there wasn't too much. But Yeah, actually, as I remember it, by the time, I was about 10 or 12 weeks after Error to the Empire was published, they already had another 12-book deal between Lucasfilm and, and Bantam, so they were scrambling around, yes, we have a golden goose here, let's uh, find people to collect the eggs. And I know you were part of that, uh, Kathy Tires. I think you were in the next wave. I was, I was in actually a side deal. You have side deals, yeah, yeah. so but they were they were they were lining up authors yeah. as quickly as well, they the could. X, the X-wing stuff, they weren't ready to branch well, out that far. No, no, what, that was later. What what had happened there is that they had the second twelve book deal, and so that was in the process of being produced and, and written. And Bantam wanted to still do more, and Lucasfilm would not uh, give them another twelve book license. So they said, "Well, can we license maybe a game?" And there was the X-wing computer game at the time. So Lucasfilm was considering that. I already had a contract with Bantam to do some fantasy novels. And I, in my career at the time, I had also done a bunch of computer games. So their editor called me up and said, is this a, you know, we're thinking about buying a license to a computer game to do some novels. Would this be a good idea? And so I discussed it with her over the phone and basically said, no. Um, you know, that, 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 you know, computer gamers at the time 
were not really into reading stuff. I mean, it was not really, there wasn't, I had never seen a lot of crossover uh, in that particular end of the market. And so I gave her kind of a, a, a downer report on, you know, I really don't think I would do that. And her final, she says to me, she says, oh, that's too bad. We were thinking about buying a license to the Star Wars X-Wing game. And I said, it's Star Wars, buy it. Um, <laughs> and, and that was the end of the phone call. <laughs> And then about uh, about about four months later, I get a get a call. Literally, uh, it was Valentine's Day, uh, and I got a call at six in the morning because I'm in Arizona, uh, and they were calling from New York. And so I wake up to my agent saying, uh, "Luke or Bantam just offered you four Star Wars novels." I said yes, <laughs> and and that was that. Well, I, I need to add add something that just a historical perspective for you guys. Uh, Air to the Empire was 91? Yes. 91? Um, what you guys might not realize before this is that anybody who wrote like TV or movie spin-off books, those were considered like bottom-of-the-barrel crap. Those were throwaway books that writers did if they couldn't get a pseudonym porn assignment or something. This was really, really... Well, it wasn't quite that well, bad. Well, okay, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> Because, Kevin, if yeah. you can't get a porn assignment, okay. you know, you're not working hard enough. The well, research is the great. The research but, is yeah, great. great, yes, yeah. yes. Um, but, but, but seriously, I mean, writing, well, there were Star Trek books that came out. Every, there was a Star Trek book every uh, month. They were little paperbacks. They were about 60,000 words long. All kinds of people were, and they were fine. I used to read a whole bunch of those. But, but books based on movies or TV shows were, were really bottom of the release list. They never did very well. They were never bestsellers. They didn't do much of anything. Um, and Tim got the job, and we have to give Tim major props because this is a Hugo-winning author who actually wrote one of his best books as a Star Wars book. You put everything into that, and he raised the bar for every media tie-in book from that point on. And one more side note, Lou Aronica, who had started this whole thing in the first place, made it clear this was going to be a major book. This was going to be a hardcover, and he put his job on the line for that. It's going to be like this. It's going to be a major release, or I'm out of here. And he said, why? It's dead. And his gamble paid off. I think he was the only one who, through this whole process, till the book came out, was the one saying, this is a license for Bantam to print money. No one else, including Lucasfilm, really believed that. So thank you, Lou. Chris, Christy, how did you fall into to Star Wars, especially in that, that crucible of uh, the middle books of trilogies? Well, it was, it was kind of funny because there was this sentiment when I was, was writing uh, early in my career that if you wrote for Star Wars, you were never going to write Star Trek. And if you wrote for Star Trek you were never going to sell Star Wars. And so I had started doing Star Trek books, and I found this out from someone at a convention that this was the way things were. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe this person was just, you know, feeding me something. But um, And so I was super sad because I love Star Wars, and I was like, oh, oh, my heart, but I love Star Trek too. So I never expected to, never expected to. And then the phone call came, and this is how I wish it had gone. Hey, Christy, how would you like to love you some Star Wars? Just a moment. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Uh, what it really went was, Hi, Christy, would you like some Star Wars? <gasps> <laughs> 
so yes, and it just it really came out of the blue, and you know, like I say, such a such a uh, an incredible big sprawling effort, and it was it was kind of like the universe says, all right, do you really want to add Star Wars? <laughs> Prove it, and I was like, absolutely. Um, I had also published some critically acclaimed books that <laughs> had great reviews and some award nominations and did not sell very well. Um, but I was reliable and I had a contract with Disney Hyperion on their YA side. And um, the morning that I was nominated for the Morris Award, which is for debut authors, I emailed my agent at like 7.30 in the morning because I couldn't sleep because I was too excited. And I was like, hey, I know I'm super busy right now, but do you think you could get me a Star Wars book? And 13 minutes later, he called and was like, I mean, I can ask. Um, and and that's, that's how it happened. All right. Next. So many years ago, <laughs> I spent an entire summer reading pretty much the entirety of the expanded universe at the time. I have not read any of the newer Books, unfortunately, I'm sorry. It's on the to-do list. You're in for a treat. <laughs> so, you gentlemen shaped my teen years. In and you recovered. <laughs> I just kind of want your take on how the change in canon, to put it delicately, how you feel that has shaped the fandom? You got the answer. <laughs> yeah, you had, yeah, you had the answer. I, really, I, 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 really I, I bow in your direction. We all heard each other give each other the yeah. same answer. In many ways, this was about all they could do once they started decided to make new movies. Because either they have to wipe out everything, which is not fair to the readers, or they have to go through all the books and comics and decide what is canon and what isn't, but to do that, they would need to know exactly what they wanted to do for the next 50 years with Star Wars. Even Marvel hasn't got plotted out that far ahead. <laughs> so by calling it Legends, this is, we're putting it into the realm of King Arthur, Robin Hood. These are stories we keep telling whether the, there was, there's actually people, in historical people to that or not, but we're still telling those stories. We're still uh, enjoy hearing them. This is the same thing with the, uh, the Star Wars Rebels. These are stories people tell around the campfire. Whether they're true, whether there's a grain of truth, whether they're completely made up, they're good stories, they're fun to read, they're fun to listen to, and that's all, we're, we're here to entertain. If, you know, the, the story about Luke Skywalker and Grand Admiral Thrawn, we don't know if it's true. We're way away from Coruscant. We don't get much news out here. But it was a fun story, and we've heard of Luke Skywalker and, and the Grand Admiral, and it was a fun story. So it's not something to panic about. It's certainly not something to get all worked up about. The stories are there. They're still read. They're still enjoyed. Um, what people do at the upper echelons is not our concern. We're here to entertain you, and we're doing our best. Uh, my question is mainly for E.K. Johnston and Timothy Zahn. Um, regarding Ahsoka and uh, Thrawn, of course, I was wondering how much of that character, with both characters, did you know where they were going, like post-Rebels and beyond, when you were writing both Ahsoka and the Thrawn novels? 
So I wrote the Ahsoka book while season two of Star Wars Rebels was airing, and they told me nothing. (laughs) I knew nothing. So when I watched the season two finale, I was like, did I just write a book that's like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Um, So yeah, I I didn't know anything. At all. And in a way, I'm really glad because it meant I got to watch the show and completely lose my mind on multiple occasions. Um, and cry in public a lot. But um, it was, so yeah, I didn't know anything, and I'm quite pleased with that, to be honest. I would love to know what happens at the after season four of Rebels. <laughs> I would love to write what happens after season four of Rebels. At this at this point, Dave Filoni hasn't decided what he wants to do, if anything, and Dave is, oh, 20 or 30 layers up the food chain from me. So until he figures it out, we are in a holding pattern. But I do have a, a, a two-book proposal if whatever Dave decides... You never stop looking for work, do you? Who knows? No. <laughs> But no, uh, we've not been told, and Dave gets first crack at it, so we just have to be patient. Yes. Um, so I was wondering if, um, do you think, uh, this is for Timothy Zahn, E.K. Johnson, and Christy Golden, um, do you think we'll ever see any of the planets from your books, like Batu from Throne Alliances, or, yeah, a bunch of others in movies or TV series later on? Well, Batu is the official name of the Galaxy's Edge section of the Disneyland and Disney World parks that, that are being put together opening uh, next year, I believe. So Batu is definitely going to show up in the park, and I, I think Lucasfilm would be crazy not to include it in a show or a movie or something because it's there and they've worked out you know, the, de- the details with the Disney Imagineers. So that is definitely almost certainly going to show up. Whether anything else, uh, EK? Um, the thing that I would really like to see is not actually a planet, um, but the board game that they play in the cantina um, is based on a Canadian game called Crokinole. Um And I was really like checking the corners of Canto Bite because I was going to lose my mind much like you did when you saw your, your planet in Han Solo. Um, but I, really, I would really love to see that on screen someday. Then it would be me like screaming a little bit in the theater and everyone being like, what's the big deal? I would be thrilled with anything that they wanted to take from anything that I'd done. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed and my eyes open. So we've got time for one last question. Thank you so much for yours. I'm sorry, Mr. Imperial Officer. My question is for Tim. I was wondering, at your autograph session, are you going to have any, do they have a DragonCon cover for Thrawn Alliance? We have the regular Thrawn Alliance cover. We have one of the San Diego uh, special edition ones in the charity auction. So that, that's available. It also has one of the uh, Grand Admiral rank plaque pins along with it. So, but we don't have any. I've been given a few spares that they had, but I don't feel comfortable selling them, so I'm going to be putting them in, in charity auctions uh, the next few years. So we've got time... Um, just a little bit, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. I was told to ask all of you. Uh, they will none of none of them here will be signing anything if you bring it up afterward. But I would like to give them the opportunity to talk to you about where they are going to be signing for the rest of the show. Um, 
So if, if you all could give them the information about where they can find you for the rest of the show, that would be really wonderful. And if we've got time, uh, we'll do a little bit more. But uh, 